Welcome to the New Dalcrosian, the first and only podcast discussing the work of Emile Jacques Dalcroze as practiced in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Molinero from Pittsburgh, PA, and with me is my co-host, Lauren Hodson. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So today on the podcast, we've got a couple of great guests. We've got the one and only Michael Joviala. All right. As well as an extended interview all about the virtual Dalcros meetup with Veronica Balevsky. Yeah, the VDM. We'd love to hear from you. With your suggestions or responses, email thenewdalcrosian at gmail or find us on Facebook slash thenewdalcrosian. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Anthony. How's it going? Well, it's going pretty well. Started up the school year. It's a little awkward. Everyone's wearing masks, not allowed to touch each other, but yeah. I think we're making some music happen. Yeah. Everything's through a screen for me right now, but uh, equally, equally fun, but also at times awkward, but we're learning. I saw that you're giving some kind of presentation to the New York chapter or something. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Yeah. In about a week from now, I'm... Um, teaching a workshop for the New York chapter, and it's about kind of an embracing the idea of possibility rather than seeing teaching through a screen as a barrier. But what are the possibilities for kind of embracing the Dalcro's philosophy and the approach through Zoom? So it should be a fun time. That's great. What's the date on that? Because I, I don't know where, when this is going to actually get posted. That event will be on September 26th. And it's uh, from 10 to 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Beautiful. Well, maybe some people will check that out. Now, you were talking about the Dow Crow's philosophy. And uh, for some of our listeners, they might not be as familiar with the Dow Crow's philosophy as we are, um, being practitioners. Um, so this is a common problem, right? Uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with the Dow Crow's philosophy. For sure. Or the Dow Crow's practice or the Dow Crow's work. And it's happened to me several times, Lauren, where I have been at a dinner party or other kind of event where maybe there's some people who I'm acquaintances with or somewhat uh, meeting for the first time. And they'll always ask me something to the effect of, so what do you do? So what do you do? And you just kind of smile and and think ah, about, well, yeah. how, you know, how am I going to tell this person exactly what I do, right? And Anthony, what is your what is your go-to when that happens to you? Well, the first thing I try to do is try to avoid talking about it if I can. So, it, <laughs> oh no! The first thing I'll do is just say something like, "Oh, I'm a music teacher," and if that's enough for them, if they don't want to go any further than that, I'm just perfectly happy to leave it there, right? I'm perfectly happy to say, oh, I'm a music teacher. And they'll say, oh, great. If they're not interested in that, that's fine. I'm not going to corner them with my whole spiel. So that if I can get away with that, I'm happy with that. You know, I feel like I got off scot-free. Yeah. Well, and this is an interesting question. You know, you were asking me, what if this happens at a dinner party? And when you asked me that, I was thinking, well, is this, you know, a musician? Is this a, you know, a... a parent of a of a you know one of my students who who could this be because i think the way we talk about what the Dalcro's approach is varies by who we're talking to and how much you know information we feel like we can give them and, and help them understand what it is without having them attend a class yeah that's exactly right because and that's why i think i try to just see if if they're just happy to not talk about 
music education at all, then that's fine. I don't really need to talk about it with them either. So I'll just try to get away with that. And if they're, if they're more curious, oh, wow, I, I'm, you know, then maybe they're interested in music. They might pry a little bit. Well, what do you teach? Do you teach high school? Do you teach college? Do you teach elementary? And they're always surprised that I teach elementary because I'm a six foot four man with a beard and a ponytail. And I uh, uh, am not necessarily what you think of as an elementary school music teacher. Um, and uh, they're always a bit surprised uh, that I teach elementary. And so then, then if that, if they get to that, oftentimes they are more curious now, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What is it that you do exactly? And so, and I explain, I'll just say something. Well, I teach an approach, you know, that is, um, based on movement and, um, and sometimes that's enough. If they don't want to go any further than that, then I'm happy to just leave it at that as well. You know, if they'll just say, oh, yeah, it's, I teach an approach. It's based on movement. It's pretty cool. You'd probably like it. Sometimes I'll maybe give them my blog address, which is mrmomusic.com, mrmomusic.com for all our listeners. And that's where I post videos of the practice, which is it is a better way to kind of absorb it than somebody explaining it. Yeah, for sure. If, if I'm giving someone a little bit more information about the history of it, and for those listeners who maybe, you know, are, are, are wanting that history, I even go back to, you know, there was a Swiss pianist, a music educator, and his name was Emile Jacques Dalcroze. And he actually developed this, these ideas for adult conservatory students first. So for someone hearing from you, oh, you teach elementary music, you teach children, but this approach itself derived from, um, from adults first as a, as a form of music education for adults. Um, because Dalcroze thought that his students, while they were technically proficient, they lacked um, a sense of musicality. And so these activities that he started to develop, such as quick reactions and all those things that we'll talk about later on in our podcast, um, to develop their their bodies and their minds to become more connected, um, led to what we do today. That's an important point that differentiates the Dalcro's work from other popular pedagogies. Um, because our work was developed for adults and was um, translated, you know, and and utilized for children later, um, which makes it different, I think, than some of the other styles of teaching music. But then, um, you know, if 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 they want to pry a little further, what I like to do actually, and this, you know, and depending on my comfort level with people, if they if they really start prying and they're very interested, now what does that mean? You know, I'll do even a simple little activity with him standing there around the party. Like um, one of my favorite ones to do is I'll say, hey, um, I'll say clap, go ahead and clap um, a quarter note. And so, you know, if they know what a quarter note is, if they're musically savvy enough, then they'll just clap. And I'm like, okay, cool. That was good. Sounded like a quarter note. Can you clap a um, whole note? And then they'll clap again. And I'll be like, yeah, but that was the same thing. You just did the same thing as you did on the quarter note. How is a whole note different than the quarter note then? If if it's just one clap. I said, can you clap a, you know, staccato 16th note at pianissimo? You know, can you clap a... And so then they'll pretty soon expl- like realize that you know, the clapping is sort of insufficient. And I'll then I'll say, well, how about this for a whole note? And I'll clap and stretch my hands out. And I'll say, well, I could even crescendo. You know, I could, and I, and they can see how the movement translates to the music. And I'll say, that's what I do. I teach through movement. I teach musicality through movement. And, and that little, just that little bit sometimes is enough for somebody who knows a little bit about music to be like, 
oh, I can see how that could go on forever, you know? And so... <laughs> sure. That, that's a beautiful way to think about it. And providing someone with an experience right away is a nice way to get them into what you're what you're talking about. So the next uh, segment here on the new Dalcrosian podcast, which is, this is the first pilot episode of, is um, we're going to give our listeners a little bit of a Dalcros experience. So I had the great opportunity to sit down with the uh, newest American diplomat. Um, that's right, Michael Joviala um, in New York City. And he, uh, you know, took me through um, some Dalcro's um, activities, uh, playing on the piano. I, I, my, my hope is that people listening along will find a way if they're sitting in a chair or if they're in an office or if they're in the classroom or if they're exercising, that they can find a way to incorporate some movement uh, along with this music that uh, Michael is going to um, kind of lay out for you. And I hope you can just enjoy the sound of his beautiful piano playing. Um, it was also, um, he recorded it in his apartment in Brooklyn, New York City. And, the, and there's some beautiful sounds of like the city in the background as well, which I think is really, really cool. So as you're listening to it, you might hear, you know, the honking of the horns and some, you know, really interesting uh, New York kind of background sounds, which I really found um, appealing as well. So um, without any uh, further delay, we'll uh, give you the Michael Joviala piece. Um, and then after that, we'll have uh, an interview with uh, the one and only Veronica Bolevsky. Hi there, my name is Michael Joviala. I'll start off our session today with uh, just a little improvisation. special feature that I was really thinking about was a meter and I was moving in between different meters one sounded like this so you can find the beats and find the strong pulse and find the weak pulse or pulses and if you feel groups of two, you're right on the money. So you might conduct in two for this. Sometimes I play like this. 
groups of two, groups of three, and there was one more. that the first time or maybe you didn't it doesn't really matter but I was signaling it unbeknownst to you most likely uh, with a musical signal on the upbeat of every measure before I changed see if you can figure out what it is so I'm gonna start it in two again different things you could do with this but one very simple one to start off with would be just to step the beat and clap the measure so if I'm in two I'm gonna step this and clap every two beats so clap so it's clap and clap and clap and clap when you clap, try to make a big round circle with the clap to show the whole measure, to feel the length of the measure, not just the start of the measure, which is how we normally applaud, um, but the whole round length of the measure. And so this would be three, clap, clap, around, around. This would be four, big circle, one, two, three, back to two. So I'll do another improvisation, same style, uh, same game. And if you like to try this Dalcro's activity or make up your own variation, there's lots of different things you could do with it. Please do so. Okay, you ready? Here we go.
So, I hope I see you sometime in New York City where I live and work. Uh, come out to Adelco's class uh, in uh, the Lucy Moses School or the Diller Quayle School. And uh, I hope you enjoy the subject of changing meters. Thank you very much. Wow, what a really cool Dow Crows experience via podcast. I believe that's the first time ever that mm-hmm. we've delivered a Dow Crows experience via podcast. Um, so uh, up next, without any further delay, is the promised interview with Veronica Bolevsky. Yeah. Oh, my. The very first podcast interview for the new Dow Crows. And this is historic people. This is historic. It is. And we are here with one of my favorite people, the one and only Veronica Bolevsky. Hello. Did I say that right? That's right. You got it. It's, you've got some interesting W's in there that make it a little bit of a challenge. Do you run the into some, story some of my trouble life with that? Is How many people have called you Veronica? <laughs> In your thousands. Life. <laughs> Tens thousands. Of thousands. Do you I, answer to it at this point or do you correct people? Oh, no, it really bothers me. I correct really? people. Really? <laughs> I, I feel like you can't be my friend until you spell my name right. There you go. And so people don't know or haven't seen your, her name. It's, it's spelled W-E-R-O-N-I-K-A, which is you know, right. very and, interesting. And it's not because my parents were trying to be weird or clever. Um, I was born in Poland. And so that's just the way that name is spelled in Polish because the W makes a V sound. There is, of course, a, a very vibrant Dalkros scene in Poland. Yes, and I really just got to know about it in the last few years, and it's just so inspiring. Um, I went to uh, Poland last summer, and it was the first time I got to like be a grown-up and do something professional-related in Poland instead <laughs> of visiting family. So it was really awesome. So it's just a coincidence that, that you're involved in the Dalkros work and, and Polish yeah, I think so. Veronica, I'm just really, cu- I'm honestly very curious. How did you get into Dalcros? How did you find out about Dalcros in the first place? Just to hear a little bit about your background. Sure. I had no idea what it was, but I happened to go to Carnegie Mellon for my undergrad. Mm. And Stephen Neely was my very first Dalcros teacher, very first class of college ever. It was Monday at 8.30 a.m. Awesome. And he said, take off your shoes and sit in the floor in a circle this is what we do here. And we were like, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a required course and that's how I found out about it. Yeah. CMU is one of the few places that you can get that kind of experience. And I've always said that, um, if, if I have to, if somebody's never had a Dow Crows experience and, and they have to have their first experience, I would have Neely teach the class. He, he's, he's got the best first Dow Crows experience He's got it so down for the for the you know for the uninitiated. Uh, something about the way he does it is just so accessible to somebody who might be feeling insecure, or uncomfortable about it. You know, he really knows how to to bring people in and, and make them feel engaged and welcome. Mm, maybe a good future topic. It's a tough sell to eighteen year olds, I would say, <laughs> who have never moved before and are just meeting <laughs> each other for the first time. Welcome to college, you know. <laughs> That's right. So is that, so before that, I mean, I'm always curious, did it, did the Dalcro's work fundamentally change your, your kind of approach to music? Yes. 
but I didn't realize it until later. So I think the two years I had at CMU really laid the foundation for how I think about rehearsal and being a musician and what it means to have good flow. But I didn't even realize I had internalized so much of it until I watched and participated in Steven's presentation this past January in Florida. And he talked about what he does with his college kids. And I was like, I agree. This is how I do chamber music. This is how I deal with tricky rhythms when I have to rehearse them. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I had that when I was a freshman and sophomore in college. And I didn't even realize because he wasn't explicit about it. We just did it. Um, and it's only now that I'm realizing it. And then I took a break from Dalcro's for the second half of my college years. And then when I came to Longy, I also lucked out and was at another, um, you know, music school in the US that happens to have Dalcro's. And that's when it really clicked. And I saw that all the things I cared about as far as musicianship and expression and creativity and good flow you can work on in a Dalcro's class in an explicit way rather than just like hoping you have the magic or you don't. Good luck. Oh, um, that magic is, is so, um, it, that's such an interesting thing, Veronica, because like I also went to an undergrad program where that was a required class. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that you notice at first about a Dalcro's class, like, wow, this, this feels like magic. Like, how is it happening in a way that seems so seamless and maybe that's more of a thing I noticed as I was starting to do teacher training like how does this look so easy for someone um yeah and then you try to do it yourself um where do you think the magic comes from well for me it's uh I think about like the uh it's sort of reverse engineers music a little bit I think a lot of other approaches they it's like music is all these concepts and things we're trying to get you to internalize and whereas Dalcro's is like no 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 it's already in you you know it's already there and it's a more of a process of discovery that for me was you know I've had Dalcro's lessons since I was like five years old so I, I've always sort of approached it that way and so you know as I got deeper into the Dalcro's work it became more evident that that's what was happening with me but that that the natural sort of language and process of music's already there you don't really need to drill it or learn it it's just it needs to be uncovered and i think that's sort of what what i find is the most exhilarating is that discovery when you when you find a a a sensation or a concept and you're like oh that's what that is and it's it's you know it's that's the magic for me there's there's a lot that goes into i think what makes delcra's teaching artistic and beautiful and human and what makes it work um, I think that's a good topic for another day, unfortunately. <laughs> no doubt. Well, I kind of want to push, push a little bit into the, um, into the, the um, Longy experience. Who, sure. who were you studying with there? Um, so my, my classes at Longy uh, during the school year were with Adriana Aush and Eiko Ishizuka. And there was like an intro to Eurythmics for grad students. And everyone was like, why do we have to step and clap and do weird stuff? And my experience was like, oh, I've already done this before. And now I'm like analyzing it on a different level and being like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and then they, I, I took a plastique class with them like two or three times in a row. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, and then I started doing the Summer Institute. And so I got to study with Lisa Parker and Ginny Latz and Melissa Tucker. Um, and there were a few other like guest teachers coming in different summers as well. Um, but I didn't start working on my certification until 
a couple years after I graduated from Blanji. Um, it took me a while to decide I wanted to be a Dalcro's teacher and not just someone who um, attended classes. But now I'm like totally in. I've drunk the Kool-Aid as I always tell people right. <laughs> when I try to convince them to come to a Dalcro's class. I'm like, yeah, I think this is the best thing ever and you should come and I'll just be open about it. I'm like totally in Dalcro's camp. <laughs> well, that's good. We're glad to have you. Uh, Lauren, have you been to Longy? I've never been there. No, I haven't. I know lots of people who have done their training there, um, including my own teacher, Jeremy. Um, but uh, I've never actually been there in person. So I'd love to go someday. I'd really like to go there too. That's on my list is to, to do a summer at Longy. You have, yeah, the, I think the quintessential experience is uh, the underground basement room with the giant concrete pillar in the middle. And you're like <laughs> trying to leap while not hitting the concrete pillar and wondering like if you're going to hit your head on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> That'll really mess up your cross rhythm if uh, you, you ran into a cement pillar. I mean, like, I we think, just, you know, have so much affection for that room. It's got like 40 years of Delcro's history in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, at Carnegie Mellon, I, I teach uh, in the, the uh, Saturday preparatory school and I teach in, in, in you know, 115 in the, in the, uh, the room, you know, the, the Delcro's yeah. room. And it's like... Um, Wait, isn't it 119? 119, yeah. And yeah. it's like, uh, uh, there's ghosts in there, you know. I feel the, I feel the Delcro's <laughs> ghosts. Well, great. Now, let, you were, we were talking about Stephen Neely, and I know that, that he figures into this story, but, you know, one of the remarkable things about you, and really, you know, aside from the fact that you're like an amazing musician and flutist and, uh, and Dalcro's teacher, is to talk to you about the virtual Dalcro's meetup, which is, um, you know, really been a very exciting grassroots sort of development in the Dalcro's community um, that has surprised me and a lot of people with how you know, engaged folks have been with it. So I wonder, you know, if you, you know, to people who may be listening to this and don't know what the virtual Dalcro's meetup is, can you give me like the elevator pitch and maybe a little bit of history about how it kind of came together? Sure. Um, so the virtual Dalcro's meetup is a discussion meeting of Dalcro's teachers from all around the world uh, who meet every two to three weeks and share ideas about um, mostly teaching online or teaching in socially distanced ways, but as different parts of the world have gone back to more normal life, we just share ideas. And um, it's free to attend, and our typical format is uh, people give a five-minute presentation, and we're very strict with the time limit so that we have time for a few presentations and then a free-for-all discussion. And as people gave these activities and said, all of you get up and we're going to do a five minute thing together on Zoom. Um, people said, well, I want a longer class. Like, can someone actually teach a longer class? And so this summer we had um, a masterclass series and four teachers from around the world taught an hour and a half Zoom masterclass. And I would say our guiding question is what is possible? And uh, I think the most remarkable thing is, first of all, that people come back and they want to be part of these discussions on a regular basis. And so we've really formed a community and made lots of new friends all around the world. And second of all, that um, it just takes one little seed of an idea for everyone in the room to be like, oh, I have like 20 ways I can develop this with my students. And it doesn't matter if your students are age three or college students or seniors. And that's what I love about the Dalcro's world is just this like creative spirit that we all inspire each other. 
Mm, it's a beautiful way to say it. That's awesome. How did it? Uh, so how did it start? Yeah, give me the story. It was a pandemic panic moment, and then it became a like a therapy group, and then we were like, oh, this has its own energy. Like we should just keep it going. Um, <clears throat> Well, who contacted who? I know it was you and, and, and Professor Neely. What, what, how did I, that uh, so come together? So Stephen came out to Boston on the Monday or Tuesday before everything shut down in the whole country and like schools yeah, canceled. Yeah, it would have been like fr- March like, 8th or something like that. I think it was like, yeah, March 10th, something like that. Yeah. And so he was in Boston and he was supposed to teach a class at Harvard. And he was like, oh, just come and hang out and like come and be part of the class and then we can catch up. And I get to campus and I'm like trying to find the room and I get a text that's like, Harvard is shutting down. (laughs) The announcement went out this morning that all students have to pack up in four days and they can't come back after spring break. So the class has been canceled, but come hang out in this coffee shop. And we were just, we just sat in this coffee shop and like caught up for four hours. And we were talking about like, what happens if CMU closes and like, can online Dalcro's class even happen? And, but it still seemed kind of unreal. Like Harvard was a, an early adopter and like three days later everyone else um i would say three days later like more schools closed but the public schools didn't close until like after that weekend right and so i think because we had this like long heart to heart for a couple hours and like just talked about the pandemic and what it could possibly change it meant that three days later when i was like oh my gosh i have to teach online can i even teach a group class online with music and zoom latency and activities um i just texted steven was like hey like what if we just texted some dalcro's friends and had a meeting and like a zoom call on a weekend so i think the following weekend we we got like 10 to 15 people together and then the general feeling was like let's meet again next week because we're all panicking and people threw in their emails and forwarded it to other friends and our mailing list is a few hundred now, so it just oh, grew wow. very organically. That's, That's awesome. fantastic. Yeah, I, I think I was at that first meeting, and I think I heard about it on a Facebook post. Same. same Somebody for me. posted something like, uh, "What are we gonna do? Like, how do we teach Delcros?" And like, I, I, I was, I had my ideas that I came up with, but boy, it was so helpful to have that support of that community during that moment because I was. You know, I mean, I was half ready to just throw in the towel and say, yeah. you know, yeah, let's just, I'm just going to give them some busy work or something because I can't do it. And, and uh, it really was an inspiration to hear all the different ideas. I mean, I had, I had some ideas, but, you know, I gained so much, uh, you know, confidence in, and um, inspiration from those yeah. early VDMs. And I think something important that happened in the early ones is we said, okay, everyone is running around like chickens with their heads cut off. But we know that some people in our community have been doing this for a decade. So let's just see if they can share for a few minutes what they already know to get the conversation started. And so I think we set this precedent of saying like, let's have someone present instead of just a random like panic discussion. (laughs) And so I think that gave some touch points and some starting ideas and some places to develop questions. And I've really enjoyed that format. Like it was an accidental thing that ended up working really well because it gave a little bit of structure and a certain topic and jumping off point. For sure. What do you think, you know, in this moment, you know, let's say theoretically the virtual Dalcro's teaching becomes, you know, less necessary. 
Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe it's something that's that there still might be? I mean, there's some value to teaching Dalcos oh, online, I think it right? Will stick around. Um, I think first of all, we've seen that in other parts of the world, people are back to normal and they still want to come because they enjoy the little tidbits of ideas and the kind of general creativity. I think we also enjoy the connection and the discussion. Mm-hmm. And while there are opportunities to go take a workshop, um, I think there's something nice about just having a place to chat. And so some Dalcro's organizations and chapters already do that, but not all. Um, the other thing is that there are many people who are isolated uh, geographically. You know, like people come from all over the world to study in Boston at the Longy Dalcro's school. And sometimes I forget that I'm really spoiled and I have like six amazing Dalcro's teachers just, you know, 10 miles from me. And there are people who like have to travel hundreds of miles, pay for a hotel and a plane to even attend like a weekend of workshops. And so um, I think the Zoom teaching is going to be around um, as part of teacher training. Like you can't do everything, but you can do so much more than we thought. And, and I think some people have been saying that for many years, but mm-hmm. this forced all of us to try it and to see what's possible and what's not. And so I think all of us now are way more open to it and have some experience with it. Um, I also have noticed that in Boston, when I try to get um, the Dalcos community together and we just like, let's have a potluck dinner and let's all hang out. like. Sometimes in Boston, it takes like 45 minutes to get across town, like with traffic. And if someone said, oh, just, you know, grab a glass of wine and log on to the Zoom call after you're done teaching and it can be at 8 p.m., but then you just close your computer at 9 and go right to bed, right? Like, I think commuting in the larger cities is actually a big factor. Like, I just taught for eight or nine hours. Do I really want to go like travel somewhere to go have this important community building and professional development chat like no i'm just too tired but maybe the zoom um thing will will be there so i think we'll make adjustments as we return to more in-person teaching and interacting but i think this is here to stay and it's nice to um connect with international people right like when do i get to regularly chat with folks in the uk or australia or you know meet people from South America, from South Africa. It's pretty cool. Mm. All right. Well, I mean, I think it's incredibly valuable, the work that you've done on the VDM. I mean, I think I want to thank you as a Dalcros practitioner and as somebody who, you know, is involved with the Dalcros Society of America. And then I think that, that, uh, you know, you're, You've really, you know, found a, a, a very useful service that, uh, uh, you know, I think we all owe you a great debt of gratitude for that. Thank you. I have to say, I'm grateful to everyone who's come because that's what feeds it, right? It's not just like me and Steven and now Emma is also helping, Emma Shubin. Um, it's not just us being like, okay, we're doing this thing, come hang out with us. Like, I think people generally, like genuinely want to connect with each other and it's all those relationships between people that give it life so i'm really grateful for that because it's fed me and it's inspired me and supported me as well uh lauren have you how many have you been to how many vdms have you attended 
Um, I want to say I went to probably the second one and then I've been to two or three other than that. Um, one of the things that I've loved that you've done is that you host it at different times depending on like what time zones people are in because of course if there's someone who is in Asia or in Australia or somewhere across the world it's going to be like you know the middle of the night if it's in the middle of the afternoon so um, it didn't always work for my schedule but I love that you did that because that means that more people could attend um, and so your awareness to include people um, I think was was of course well received too that people felt like oh they're making it you know they're really making an effort to include me and that feels really good you know yeah um, I um I know more than I ever did about time zone time zones yes and I have to say I am <laughs> dreading the switch away from daylight savings time because different parts of the world switch at different times and my biggest fear is like making a mistake and like someone just like misses it because I did the time zone conversion wrong. So I'll be double checking everything. Do you want to know the most interesting time zone I learned about this summer? Is okay. Newfoundland. Do you know what time zone they're in? Are they like some 15 minutes off or something like I that? I think they're one and a half ahead of Eastern Daylight Time. One and a half. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I wanted to bring up a, another thing, too, that I noticed at one of the, the ones they attended. I logged in, and um, I noticed there was some um, some older teachers there who are kind of at the point where they're not necessarily traveling so much anymore. Um, but as soon as they logged on, they saw who was on the screen, and they saw that person's name, and it was like a reunion, like over the internet. And it was so cool to see them say, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. How are you? You know, and that type of connection that they maybe might not have had again, you know, right. um, was really beautiful to see that. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Very heartwarming. For sure. To just for sure. see like the depth of relationships in the Dalco's world. Like once you struggle through a workshop together that like pushes you and like makes you question whether you even are a musician. <laughs> or <laughs> exam. <laughs> yep. Like once you go through yeah. that experience with people, it's like a lifelong bond. <laughs> so tell us, uh, Veronica, how we can find the VDM if, if somebody's interested in attending a, uh, a meeting and they've not heard of it. Give us uh, give us like the location. Yep. Um so the project lives at virtualdalcros.org. And um, if you want to be added to the mailing list, um, send an email to virtualdalcros at gmail.com. And if you're on the mailing list, you'll get info about upcoming meetings, about um, a new masterclass series that we're planning for the fall. And as people post resources, we're trying to organize them. Um, so we're actually looking for people who can help us organize all the links and helpful things that people have sent to share with each other. We're also looking for someone to help us more with social media presence. So if anyone listening feels like they have a few hours to volunteer their time, that would be, um, super helpful. But yeah, then I would say get on the mailing list. That's the best way to find out about it. Great. Are you playing anywhere? Not right now. Oh man. Such a disappointment. If uh, our listeners don't know, Veronica is a fantastic flutist. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, stunning. And uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Uh, the, I haven't been playing anywhere in a long time either. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, any playing? 
Um, well, I have an improv lesson this afternoon, but of course it's online. No performances. Yeah. Although no, I, no I did, I did play at a faculty recital online for, <laughs> for a program this summer. So that was, you know, it's, uh, it's still a performance. I think it's, it's interesting that we can still find ourselves in a, um, even if we're, you know, surrounded by our own books and things that we can still perform and it still feels like like you still feel that you know surge of adrenaline and and that you're performing even if you're in your own home so can I ask about whether you felt the audience with you hmm so this was uh this was for a uh, Canadian string program and so it was mostly kids and then all the other faculty members they had a um this was a week-long program and they did once a day they had a student recital and once a day they had a faculty recital um and uh i i did feel them with me i mean i i had my computer to the side and i could have looked at them out of the corner of my eye should i have wanted to and i could have seen all their faces you know um but i i did i felt like even though you can't necessarily hear the audience like you would when you're performing live, you might hear people clear their throats or shift in their chair or do little things like that. Right. I think you can still sense that they're there Yeah. in a way. Yeah. It's a great question. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Is every, any, everybody happy with how it went? Yeah, this has been so. great. The first, the first new Dalcrosian podcast interview is in the books. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Veronica. It's been awesome to talk with you and to learn more about VDM. Oh, thank you. All right. And she, you can find her at virtualdowcrows.org. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next time for our next episode of The New Dalcrosian. How do you explain the Dalcros work to strangers? You can email us your responses to the new Dalcrosian at gmail. Or you can like us on Facebook slash The New Dalcrosian. 